Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I am presenting a series of broadcasts on the subject of justification by faith or justification by faith and works, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was explaining the differences between Paul and James, that in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, Paul wrote, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law, and yet in James chapter 2, verse 24, he said, You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Now, in the previous broadcast, I gave a traditional explanation that explains how we are able to reconcile these two verses. The general explanation is that if a person is saved, we would expect to see some works in their life. We would certainly expect to see some kind of a change in their life and that the works of God would be performed within and through them to some degree. There certainly is no question that that is the case. We know that that is true. The argument, however, is did James intend to say that, or did he really intend to say that our right standing with God was actually determined by our works and that without any works in our life, we would not truly be justified before our God that our faith was not really enough, but that we did have to experience some degree of repentance and obedience. Of course, what that is has not been defined. If that is the case, then how do we really determine how much repentance is necessary or how much obedience is necessary in order to qualify to enter into the kingdom of heaven? That becomes the next most important question to answer. If that is what we are going to believe, then we must answer the fundamental question of how much is enough. And the answer, of course, given in the law is total repentance and total obedience. Nothing short of that will be adequate. And so if that's the case, no one will enter the kingdom of heaven by that standard, most certainly if we were to truly be honest about the situation. But in the previous broadcast, I was explaining that there is a way of reconciling the two passages, and the way that it is traditionally reconciled is by asserting the truth that if we are saved, if we do have faith, we should anticipate some kind of a change in our life. And that certainly is true. However, in these set of programs, I would like to make the assumption that James did not really intend to say that, but in truth, he really believed that we are justified, our right standing before God is determined by our works before him, that that would be a position that he took, and if that is the case, then they are not in agreement with each other. Now, of course, the risk that I explained, there is great risk in suggesting this, is that perhaps there might be a contradiction in the scriptures. That is a very real concern, and I certainly do not want to discount that, that we do not want to see a contradiction in the scriptures. However, I'm going to take the position that they did not agree and that this disagreement is not a contradiction in the scriptures, because in the scriptures there are other passages that clearly show that they did not agree. 
And so if they did not agree, we should expect to see a disagreement. And follow with me very carefully. And that is that if we do not see a difference in what they taught, in the letters that they taught, then there would be a contradiction because of Paul especially claimed that he and James did not teach the same thing and we did not see a difference, then that would be a contradiction to that fact. And so it depends on your point of view. It depends on your perspective. And so in this program, I'm going to continue the perspective that perhaps they did not agree and that this could very well be acceptable. Concerning contradictions, however, it is a very real concern. We do not want to look at the scriptures and see that there are some differences that show that the scriptures are not complete, that they are contradictory. We certainly don't want to see that there, because if that was the case, then there would be some great concern with regards to the validity of what remains, of what is there. Can we really depend on the testimony that has been given to us in the scriptures? I certainly do believe that we should be concerned about that, but that we should not be concerned to the degree of creating explanations in order to try and justify things when they either are not necessary or they may actually take away from the true depth of what is recorded in the scriptures. And that's why I'm presenting these programs, because I'm presenting an alternative point of view that might actually give a much better explanation that creates a better cohesiveness within the scriptures and that the other one could perhaps even be considered to be a mild contradiction, the explanation with regards to trying to actually reconcile the two passages. The Lord Jesus himself said that regardless of these things, regardless of how we look into the scriptures, the most important thing to understand and the most important thing to focus on is that the scriptures testify of a person, that we do not look at the scriptures as our God. The Bible is not our God. If there is a discrepancy in the scriptures, that does not mean that our God is not real. That does not mean that we cannot have faith in him. That does not mean that we can't have salvation. It's important to understand that, that the Bible is not our God. It is not written in John chapter 1 verse 1 that in the beginning was the Bible and the Bible was with God and the Bible was God. Following through in John chapter 1 verse 14, it does not say, and the Bible became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld the glory of the Bible, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's not the Bible. It is not the scriptures. It is the person who is testified of in the scriptures. It's very easy to create a dependency on the scriptures that is very misplaced, that is very inappropriate, that can even make an idol out of it. The scriptures testify of our God. It is the testimony of our God that we are to focus on. It is to understand that in the scriptures we have the testimony of our God. Now, I sincerely believe that the scriptures were given to us by our God and that there's no conflict or any contradiction in the scriptures whatsoever. I sincerely believe that, don't get me wrong, but don't believe that at the expense of what truly is more important, and that is to know the person who the scriptures testify of, because it is the person who provides you with salvation. It is the person who you are to get to know. Consider John chapter 5, verses 38 through 40. This is John chapter 5, beginning in verse 38. But you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent... Him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you might have life. 
That is the focus that we are to have. We are to have our focus on the Lord Jesus who is testified of in the scriptures. The scriptures do not give us life. The Lord Jesus gives us life. Do not underestimate the difference between the two. Because to do so is to make a serious error, a very serious error to the point where you will have some very distinct problems because your dependency will be totally misplaced. You will make an idol out of the Bible, which is not what the Lord intended. Our life is found in Him, and our relationship is found in Him. The Scriptures testify of Him. It is He who we truly depend on. I just wanted to take the opportunity to mention that, because there are some issues in the Scriptures. Consider, for example, what happened with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. When they fell, they fell in the Garden of Eden, and they were cast out of the Garden, and they went out into the world. The promise was made to Adam and Eve that the Messiah would eventually come forward from the seed of the woman, that was a messianic promise. And when Eve gave birth to Cain, she actually believed that Cain was the Messiah. She really believed that. It's very difficult to see this in our English translations. I have two broadcasts devoted just to explain the grammatical issues relevant to these two passages. And so if you would like some further information on what I'm about to say, just feel free to write me and I'll get these broadcasts to you. Because what Eve really said when she gave birth to Cain was not that she gave birth to a man who was of God, for God, to God, because of the help of God. There's no preposition there at all. What she really said was that I have brought forth a man who is God. She believed that Cain was God manifested in the flesh. She believed that he was the Messiah. Now, obviously, she was wrong, but that's what she believed, and that was what was recorded. Now, is there a contradiction in the scriptures because Cain murdered his brother? He obviously was not the Messiah that Eve thought that he was. No, what we have recorded there is what Eve believed. So likewise, what I'm going to be suggesting is that what we have recorded in the letter of James is what James believed. And what we have recorded in the letter that Paul wrote is what Paul believed. What Eve believed certainly was not true, and yet it is there in the scriptures. What Paul believed, I sincerely believe, is true, and it is in the Scriptures. And what James believed, I do not believe is true, but it is in the Scriptures. There's nothing wrong with it being there as long as it is identified in its proper context and used for its proper purpose. That's the important thing that I really wanted to mention up front with regards to this specific broadcast, because I am going to move forward assuming that there is a difference and show you that it is acceptable if you consider that there are passages in the scriptures that suggest that there's supposed to be a difference. That's my point, that there is supposed to be a difference. Consider Galatians chapter 2, verse 1, just for a moment. I'm going to read from Galatians chapter 2, verse 1, down to verse 5. Beginning in Galatians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul wrote, Then after fourteen years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Understand that right here, Paul says very clearly 
that he went to Jerusalem to communicate the gospel that he was preaching and that it was different from what they were believing in Jerusalem. Understand that. It's a very important premise to realize. He said in verse 2, But privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Which is very important, because if he's going to go into the church in Jerusalem, and he's going to tell them about the gospel that he was teaching among the Gentiles, and that it was distinct, and it contradicted, it was in conflict with what the leadership, or those who were of reputation, were teaching, if it was different, then they would be confronted publicly, and they would have to respond right away, very quickly, without any preparation, without any understanding of what they were going to be faced with, and they might very well be embarrassed. And if they were, then their own pride might get in their way with regards to conceding to the gospel that Paul was preaching. Do not underestimate what's being said here, because if there is a difference, we should expect there to be differences in the letters that these people were writing. We should expect that to be the case. And if we don't see a difference then we should perhaps be concerned. Now, I'm going to come back to Galatians chapter 2 in just a moment, but before then, I'm going to go ahead and turn over to Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, we have the historical record of what happened when he went to Jerusalem. When he went to Jerusalem with Barnabas, they met in the Jerusalem council, they met at the Jerusalem council, the church in Jerusalem, and this is described in Acts chapter 15. Now pay attention to what I'm saying here, because what I want you to look for is any differences. Was there a disagreement between Paul and James? James was the head of the church in Jerusalem. He was the most respected person there, perhaps not as much as Peter. It would, of course, depend on the person that we were referring to. However, James was definitely recognized as being the head of the church in Jerusalem. And so let's consider what was given in the historical record given by Luke in Acts chapter 15. Beginning in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. It says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go down to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question recognized the apostles and elders. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. Now here it is, verse 5. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, don't underestimate what's being said here. What's being said here is that there were people in the church in Jerusalem who were under the authority of the apostles and the elders of the church, or perhaps they were considered to be apostles and elders themselves. There were people there who sincerely believed that if a person is saved, they have to be circumcised and they have to live a life in obedience to the law of Moses. That's what they believe. And publicly, right here, they're bringing up the case, they're bringing up the situation when Paul shows up there and says that the Gentiles are not only being saved, but there are works of God that are being shown in the lives of the Gentiles that we have to acknowledge, that we should acknowledge. 
understand what they're saying here. They're saying, no, that's not good enough, but they, they truly have to be circumcised and live in obedience to the law of Moses. Now, understand something. This is Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, there is an awful lot that happened between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 15. There is a lot of history that took place. Many years went by between the time the Lord Jesus rose from the dead and the early church was first established and right here in Acts chapter 15. And here, they're finally opening the discussion of does a person need to be circumcised and does a person need to live in obedience to the law of Moses? Why are they dealing with this question now? Why is this question coming up here? You would think that if the church had been functioning for several years and maturing in their faith, that at some point, at some point, they would have had this discussion already. At some point, based on the rumors of what was taking place up in the northern territories in the Gentile world and other parts of the world, wouldn't you expect that they would have at least had this discussion before now? Why are they having it now? They're having it now because they never had the discussion before. The argument never took place before. There was never any conclusion to this matter before. It wasn't until Acts chapter 11 before they even acknowledged that a Gentile could be saved. Consider that. Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 10. We don't think a Gentile can even be saved. Obviously, the early church did not have it all together right away. And so if it was Acts chapter 11 before they even acknowledged that a Gentile could be saved, perhaps they never had many discussions about how do we now live our life once we have been saved. It may very well have been recognized that a Gentile could be saved, but then it would be automatically assumed that they would then live a life of repentance from sins and obedience to the law of Moses, because that was what they were doing. That is exactly how they were living, and that was the difference between Paul and the church in Jerusalem. That was the distinct difference. They may have been able to come to an agreement with regards to whether or not somebody was saved. They may have been able to agree on that. However, how does a person live their life after they have been saved? Because if they don't live it appropriately, perhaps they really aren't saved. Or maybe they'll even lose their salvation. Does this sound familiar? This is to sound familiar because this is the very struggle that we experience in the church today. It is no different than the same conflict that was experienced in Jerusalem back then. No different. The same conflict still exists the same confusion still exists. And while we may not say that a person has to be circumcised or live in obedience to the law of Moses, we will say that perhaps a person has to be baptized and live in obedience to the church law or the church doctrines or the principles and the guidelines by which we live in order to hopefully avoid sin. Those subjects are very important subjects, but it still comes down to the same premise. And that is, are you justified by your faith or are you justified by your faith and your works. And down in Jerusalem, we have an example right here in Acts chapter 15 that it appears they did not agree. They did not agree with Paul, but that they did agree or they did believe that a Gentile would be justified by their works and not by faith only. That's my, that's my point. Please understand that. And so if this is true, if this is true, we should expect to see James writing something different than Paul we should expect to see a difference in the subject of justification. But let's continue on in Acts chapter 5 and see what happens. Beginning in Acts chapter 5, verse 6, 
it says, Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. They're coming together to consider this matter. They never apparently considered it before, otherwise it would have been easy. You just simply report what they already considered. Continuing in verse 7, And when there had been much dispute... Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's referring to the events recorded in Acts chapter 10, beginning again in verse 8. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in the previous broadcast, I explained the importance of this, of understanding that the giving of the Holy Spirit is what salvation is. Continuing in Acts chapter 15, verse 9, And made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith, referring to the Gentiles. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. A very powerful statement to turn it in that direction to say that we can be saved just as the Gentiles can be saved. That's a very, very aggressive stand for Peter to take. But to also say that why are we going to try to put a yoke on the disciples that neither we nor our fathers were able to bear? In other words, we're asking them, we're demanding even, that they do what they can never do. We're demanding that they live a life in accordance with the law of Moses and obedience to the law of Moses, and yet they never will. We never will. Why would a person pursue a life that they know that they can never live? Doesn't that sound like an exciting gospel to say something to that effect? Why don't you come and believe in the Lord Jesus like I do, so that you can live a life that you will definitely never be able to live? Don't you want to devote your whole life experience to trying to be a person that you know you will never be? Doesn't that sound exciting? Doesn't that sound like great news? Great news that our God has given us a renewed opportunity to try and live a life that we can't live. That is not the gospel. And yet there are many people who indirectly and very subtly do actually believe that that's what the gospel is. But we are certainly only saved by grace through his faith. Continuing on in verse 12, Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Okay, now pay attention to this, because James says, Listen to me. Listen to what I believe. Listen to what I have to say. So pay attention very closely to what he had to say. Beginning in verse 14, Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. What does he say? He says, let's not bother them. And so given the dispute, he doesn't have anything to say about circumcision. He doesn't have anything to say about living in obedience to the law of Moses. 
He doesn't say anything about that at all. He only says, let's not bother the Gentiles. Let's not bother them. Let's not disturb them with regards to these things. But in order to give them something, let's write to them. And beginning in verse 20, this is what he says. But that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. So let's at least do these things. Let's just tell them that we don't want them to participate in these things. Well, obviously, I mean, if a person is saved, if a person is born again of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is not going to direct them to participate in idolatry, and they're not going to be directed to participate in sexual immorality and things like that, and torturing animals. That's just not what the Lord does within and through us. He doesn't lead us to pursue those kinds of things. But that's not what he says. He says, let's just pick these things instead of going to the entirety of the Mosaic law. And then he says in verse 21, For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. That's what he said. You see that? He did not say anything about circumcision. He did not say anything really about obedience to the law of Moses. This is what he said. He said, don't bother those Gentiles. Don't worry about those Gentiles. If they really want to know the word of God, they'll go to the synagogue and hear Moses preached there. That was what he said. That was his conclusion. That was his way of expressing his concern with regards to this subject. That's what he had to say about it. He did not say that the Gentiles were justified by faith alone. He said, don't worry about those Gentiles. If they really want to know the truth, they will go to the synagogue, and there they will learn the works of God that they are to perform in order to make their faith perfect and be fully justified. That's what he believed. And when you look at his letter that he wrote, it says that. That's exactly what it says. The differences between Paul and James are clear. There is no confusion about this. They did not agree. And it's okay. In the body of Christ today, we still don't agree. We have plenty of disagreement with regards to this. And it's okay. The Lord Jesus still works in the midst of his people. And even though we may have some confusion with regards to what we believe, he can still work with us. He can still work within and through us. And his name can continually be proclaimed throughout the earth. That's the point. And that is what he is doing. Remember that this is about the Lord Jesus. It's not about trying to get the perfect church or the perfect doctrine. It is about the Lord Jesus and him revealing himself to the people. Even in the midst of the confusion that we all have, that's okay. He can still work in the midst of our circumstances. And I will continue with this subject in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net you